welcome to The Near Memo, a weekly conversation about search, social, and commerce. What happened, why it matters, and the implications for local. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 124 of The Near Memo. Today with Mike Blumenthal and me, Greg Sterling, where we talk about all things local. Uh, David Mim is out, but we'll be back next week. Um, welcome back. And today we're going to be talking about Google support ambassador, ambassadors, brand ambassadors, I guess they're calling them. We're also going to be talking Google about Google ambassadors, Google ambassadors, not brand ambassadors. We're also going to be talking about S SGE while browsing and uh, kind of the emerging phenomenon of AI generated review summaries now on Amazon and uh, Newegg and sort of on Google. Um, but will be will be more widespread in the not too distant future. So, Mike, why don't you kick it off with the ambassador sure. item? So, I was as, uh, in the forums last Google forums last week, which is staffed by volunteers, uh, what are called product experts, and I came upon a problem that I hadn't seen too much. So, I was curious if I went through the uh, Google forms, what are the Google contact information, what they, how they would present a solution to me, the Google contact support as a three-step process where you define the problem, they show you resources that might or probably won't help, and then they give you contact options for that problem. As I was doing this, I discovered that Google has added a new layer to their support, uh, to their first level of support, which is to chat with a Google ambassador. And when I dug into it, I discovered that a Google ambassador is run by a third party company called Limitless Gig CX. Which and, is a great, which is a great name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they tout the fact that the, uh, when you go to their site, they talk about how your company could hire passionate brand ambassadors to solve all these problems. And really all that happy talk is about passionate brand ambassadors is when you dig to the bottom of it as gig workers and the promise from this company that they will save you money. And I, uh, a friend of mine who has been a Google product, quote unquote, product expert or top contributor in the Google forum since 2007 and has contributed more support than any human being in, that I know of. He's one of the few diamond contributors he does. He's just done th tens of thousands of. So diamond is tickets. diamond is above platinum. Diamond is above platinum. I'm platinum, I didn't. I didn't. Dude. I'm a platinum. He's diamond. So uh, level above. I him. didn't know that. You well, you got you. You're you're now at platinum. You got from I'm, silver I to got, platinum pretty pretty quickly. I, I got well. I that's right. I went. I got demoted from whatever gold down to silver, and then I got re-promoted back to platinum. I'm now platinum. Anyways, he, he sent me this little note. He said, Google's creativity in terms of support, in air quotes, seems to never exhaust itself in constantly coming up with new titles, badges, and functions. I can't even remember how often I was reclassified and renamed since 2009 when I started as a top contributor. This is as they keep changing the forums, they keep changing the rules about, and gamifying how uh, our the top contributor support works. And he said, goes on to say, instead of worrying about suitable procedures for reporting and solving problems and a comprehensible workflow for problem processing, these new Google ambassadors are now being introduced as a third cohort. That's a pretty ridiculous move, in my opinion, hiding Google's own inability to support their products and 
end users as a filthy rich global player. I would say it's not their inability to support their products and users, it's their unwillingness to support their products and users. I mean, Google does support only because they have to, and they basically create these very long queues, so it feels like you're moving often when you're not. And this new brand ambassador, Google ambassador program, was just like that. I spent an hour on an answer I knew could only be solved by Google higher level support, and it took an hour for them to finally offer that choice to me, so I had to go through the back and forth and the back and forth. And finally, they offered to pass me off to a higher level support at Google. Uh, but then I got a notice that they won't be in touch with me for 24 hours. So it took me an hour of my time What's plus it? waiting for 24. So, so how is this different from a from a contact center, from an offshore contact center, for example? Well, the big difference from my point of view is that there's no, it's a gig, they're paid by the answer not by the job. In theory, a contact and support center could build skill sets and training protocols to ensure that low level training, that low level first level of contact support is good. It never has been at Google because they've largely outsourced it. Google has a, a multi-tiered approach where I think there's probably three tiers. First tier is this has historically been very low level support, gets referred internally to that third party contractor, elevate support, and then goes to somebody in Google. So um, Google has worked very hard to isolate their staff from support questions. They put million roadblocks in the way, whether it's at first year support, now this ambassador. So the big difference in the ambassador program and their current poor level support is sort of this another channel, right? So it doesn't appear that they've gotten rid of their channels in India. It looks like this is in addition to it. So now people who are not properly trained uh, have to look up an answer and get back to you and ultimately, for the most part, tell you they can't do anything about it. They might refer you to sports. So again, it looks like a filtering mechanism. Most people would have left long before the hour was up and would not have stayed with it. And it, it's it problematic on two fronts. One is it's the illusion of support. You feel like you're moving when you're really not. Well, many many Google is not alone in in offering that. That's a very common phenomenon. Right. The 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 issue there support though, is, customer support theater. It right. The issue though here is that Google is the monopoly and the primary provider of leads to these businesses. So when their product screws up, which it does regularly, there's no easy mechanism to recover. And from my point of view, being a monopoly imposes certain greater obligations that they should have, but they don't. So not only does this add one more layer, a slow layer to support, it also creates another population of exploited workers that are working per answer and Google being one of the wealthiest cash rich companies in the world. Well, so Google should be held to a higher standard. Well, Google, so Google has not been officially designated a monopoly, even though de facto they are. Um, and, and it, so that gives them the excuse to fuck people and businesses. <laughs> well, I mean, legally, yes. Right. I mean, if they were a regulated utility, if, if they were a regulated utility, there would be certain obligations that would be imposed upon them, um, externally. 
And the culture of Silicon Valley is such that you really want to minimize the number of humans involved in any given task, right? I mean, there's, there's a bias toward machines and against humans, except where absolutely necessary. And this is a, an, a, an illustration of that. And overall, overall, my experience of customer support is that it's getting worse and worse and worse. And this is against the backdrop of increasingly sophisticated technology and AI and all these tools which purport to empower agents and uh, provide greater efficiency and so on and so forth. And so there's this very strange, um, you know, I can go into personal experiences, which I won't, that have just been absolutely horrendous recently. Um, but that's another, I, I, yeah, my temptation was... is great to, to digress into stories, but I won't do it. Um, Back what about, in 2012 what about... or 13, though, I remember, I think it was a pre the CEO of Verizon sort of looking at and publicly commenting on how successfully Google had managed to minimize support costs, looking at it enviously. You know, as, well, that's how, that's how companies view support. They view customer service and support as a cost center, not as a marketing expense, not as a, 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 a thing that's going to yield customer loyalty or brand benefits. They absolutely have it wrong, absolutely wrong. Now, in Google's case, because of their market position, they can deliver. They can get away with delivering terrible support because no, but you know what? What? What else? People have to use them. There isn't any real competition. I mean, there was just an article in the, the Wall Street Journal, I think, today, where they were talking about how being, you know, being GPT with all of the sort of bells and whistles that they've added and all the buzz and all the exposure that it's gotten has not moved the needle on market share at all. You know, they've seen some some growth, but it's really not very meaningful. But that's that's another discussion. So uh, what last question is sort of what about AI? What is the future of GBP support and AI? One would think that Google is going to inject AI into the mix pretty quickly um, at some, you know, they certainly have a great training set in their forums and in the questions that come into them. I think that well-designed AI could move somebody through the process more quickly as opposed to more slowly, which is really the hazard of this current extra, extra layer. I mean, this layer feels like you're getting human support. You're actually interacting with a human, but- It injects delay into the process. It, it ultimately injects delay. So I do see AI as potentially being able to do this, but. Obviously, they are the best AI, one of the best AI companies in the world, and haven't quite got there. So, um, well, once, but once part they... of the problem is, as that poster that shared with me pointed out, they've been unwilling to put in place clear processes and procedures to solve the many problems that they have in their software. So, some of it comes from creating better software. Some of it comes from having proper procedures. Now, we have seen over the past few weeks, and this is largely due, I think, to the DSA rules in Europe, improved forms for certain problems that have not had forms before. So now you can actually go to Google, describe, go to the uh, contact support. You can describe problem, up pops a choice. When you select that choice, up pops, after the thing trying to delay you by reading stuff, up pops a form. That's new and that is improved processes. So maybe they're moving that way. And if they have enough of those forms and enough people they can direct who can solve these problems, then AI could fit into that and 
be less painful and quicker than their current than this current ambassador program, which from what I can see is, as you point out, just theater. Okay, so let's move on to SGE while browsing and review summaries. So this week, Google um, released a number of new features for SGE, which it's doing on a regular basis. Uh, among them, you can roll over particular words in the uh, AI snapshot. You can get definitions, in some cases, other kinds of information. Um, there's some code-related uh, improvements. But the thing that I wanted to focus on was this new feature called SGE while browsing, which is article summaries that are available in Chrome or the Google app on mobile. And in Chrome, I, st I, don't, I still don't have access to this. It, it wants me to download Chrome, even though I've updated and have Chrome on my computer, but it's, anyway, I'll have to go through that process. But on the desktop, what you get is a sidebar similar to what Bing is doing and you get a lot and you get a summary key points in the article and then you get related content so there's a bunch of things going on lily ray had a nice video uh showcasing it which i linked to in the article from wednesday but the thing that's fascinating to me um is is really the mobile experience on the desktop i think it could be quite useful to people and it doesn't obscure the article and it doesn't uh prevent ad impressions from showing but on the on the uh -huh. uh, in the mobile app you have a little pop-up that you initiate. It's always manual. It's never automatic. And then it'll show up and it gives you, it obscures the article that you're looking at and it gives you the key points. And then there are um, icons that you can click and it'll take you to the place in the article with, the high, with, with highlighting where that particular piece of information uh, exists. So it, it, it can be potentially useful to users um, Google sees it as a way to sort of more efficiently move through content, especially long form content. Um, there's a question about whether the summaries will get it right. Are the summaries capturing the most important information? Are they accurately reflecting the information in the article? But let's assume that that's all correct. So I go to a page, I hit the, I hit the generate button and I get this summary that obscures the article and adds. And I, and I don't look at the article, you know, that, that, that this is sort of derivative content and I'm, I'm starting to interact with the internet in this sort of once removed way, relying on Google to summarize that information. Now it's not clear exactly when Google is doing this and when it's not doing this. You, you can't get this for every single article that you encounter. And I noticed when, when, so for news stories, I was testing it mostly with news. For news stories where I have a corresponding app uh, installed the New York Times, Washington Post, AP News, whatever. It'll take me to the app and I don't see the, you know, when I click on the story, I don't get the option to to see the summary. But if I'm looking at an article that's just on the web, um, very often I'll see that capability. And, but I haven't noticed a pattern. I haven't been able to discern a specific pattern and I don't know why they're offering it sometimes and not other times. But it's, how does it present it's, itself? I, I have been. It's at the. It's at the. It's at the. It, this is on mobile. It's only available through the Google app, you know. And you have to specifically opt into this experiment. So it's not oh, just okay. if you've opted into SGE, you also opt, have to opt into SGE while browsing. Um, but it's it's just a little it's just a little pop up at the bottom that's you know you can see the sort of top of and then you hit the icon and it pops up and it covers the entire article. And so you don't see the article, you don't see the ads, you're not scrolling through the article. 
um, you know. You know what it reminds me of? That description reminds me of the uh, business profile panel or the local finder where you click and it just takes you to another Google place, right? Right. And you're still a click away from getting in touch with whoever you need to get in touch with. Um, well, that's just, right. It it, it, inser it inserts a layer. I mean, there's other stuff there too, and there's other opportunities to click and related information. So it's not simply the summary, but but it inserts a layer between you and the content. I mean, which is what Google has done it, itself. I mean, Google, which initially started as a way, as a tool to uh, help people find information has become, you know, this is not an insight in any way, an intermediary that has that that mediates your relationship with whatever you're looking for. And then this is more of that. This is an, yet another layer kind of on top of that. On the desktop, it's a different experience because nothing is concealed or nothing is obscured. So it's just a sort of a companion uh, kind of panel of information, which is the way that Bing, uh, Microsoft has set it up. And I think in that context, it could be quite useful because you can look at the article and sort of see, oh, it, here's, I want to look further. Um, but on on mobile, it's completely, completely covered. And I mean, you would have to do it. You have to click the button, but it, it, it could be, it could be bad news. It's, it could be another kind of zero click experience, right? Where you're just looking at Google summarized content. You're not engaging with the actual content. You're not getting at impressions. Um, and there's, I mean, there, there is a click, but it's not going to yield any real engagement with the content unless you affirmatively decide to do that. So it's a double-edged thing. Like all Google products, it has a helpful dimension, which remains to be sort of fully explored. And it has a self-serving self dimension. dimension. That's right. Yeah. That's the word. That's and that... Every development you have to view and try to figure those two elements out to understand. Right they're, and they're and they're often kind of, you know, almost entirely overlapping. You know, the, yes. the Google is always motivated by multiple objectives uh, in everything that it does. Right. But, but it isn't um, always money from Google's point of view. Sometimes it's data, right? Sometimes it's well, it's all it's either directly or indirectly or... revenue related. Right, but it could. I mean, right, but it could be just client, you know, user retention. It might be what their behaviors are. In other words, they monetize it. It may be a sec, uh, several layers away from direct monetization. Right, it's not direct. It's not direct revenue, but it may be indirectly right. is contributing to revenue through user user retention or uh, engagement. Um, and then the the other item that I wanted to talk about was the uh, are these new AI generated review summaries. So Newegg did this a week ago, roughly. Some of their reviews, Newegg is a mostly electronics, though not exclusively e-commerce site uh, or, or or software and electronics. I believe uh, I never use it, but some of their reviews have a, a kind of a, a capsule review summary with some. Uh, I think there are some other filters. I'm not looking at it right now. And this is a this is an AI generated thing based on the underlying consumer reviews. And the idea is it's going to make uh, shopping more efficient. And presumably they think it will help people. It will expedite purchases because people will get the information they need from the review summary without having to read 
a bunch of underlying reviews. And then the the score distribution, they have a kind of a, a, a chart that visually represents where the ratings are. That's still available. So they they show the the rating and then this uh, review summary, which kind of eliminates the need hypothetically to read any individual review. And Amazon has done something quite similar, although Amazon's version is a bit more elaborate with a bunch of uh, filters or topics, as Google calls them, where you can click that and then you will go to an, to particular reviews that talk about the usability or something or the battery life or whatever the characteristic is of the product. But the idea, again, here is to use AI to summarize a bunch of review content and make it faster for consumers to get the sense of how how other people like the the product uh, and and expedite purchase behavior. I think. I mean, Google has been doing this to to some extent uh, with their review summary snippets. They've had three snippets that, from their point of view, while they're extracted from specific reviews, reflect the broader experience of users because those comments are either repeated or similar to. So you'll frequently see a positive, a negative, and a positive uh, comment in those summaries. So the summaries are, are snip, review snippets, I guess, functions similarly, although it it might not. Have it's not as comprehensive. It doesn't. Right. See, these these read like an individual consumer review. They've, they've created a coherent paragraph of text or so that looks like you know, a, an individual has written it. It's familiar to people. This, the, the, the thing that Google is doing is more disjointed and, and less, inspires less confidence, let's just say. You know, it's just a sort of a sampling of, of, of a portion of a review. And it's also buried to, to the point where it's not, it's not always surfaced, vis easily surfaced in a typical search. Unlike review stars, which we know from our research are very compelling to users, very attractive to users, drive user behavior. These summaries are not as visible. Well, so so what's interesting in the in the in the you know kind of our our initial projects have re revealed that people and we talked about this internally. Uh, people are not reading reviews. Right. You know, our user testing is showing that people. Par the paradox is that reviews are the number one factor that people rely upon in making a choice for our business, you know, far and away. And other things are contributing, but they look at reviews primarily, but they're not reading them. They're looking at the aggregate star ratings. There are some, there's, you know, there's a kind of higher uh, spectrum of people. Most people don't read them. Some people sort of spot check and some people really read them thoroughly, but those are tiny minorities. And, what I believe based on that exposure to the user data that we've, we've collected is that there's going to be more, um, uh, more adoption of these AI review summaries across the internet. I think Google will introduce something like that. I think other sites that host reviews that have reviews are going are gonna to summarize them because they see it as a consumer benefit. And um, there will probably be some data that show there's engagement and there is some lift, some purchase lift from these things. But to what extent does this obscure fake reviews, for example? You know, that's that's an interesting thing to consider. Um, I mean, fake reviews start to matter when they push up the star review or push down the star review aggregate score 
or maybe in some cases where they're very prominent and and they and the text can influence people but it's mostly at this sort of star rating level right because people will i mean one of the things we saw in our user behavior is below a certain threshold depending on the industry and the category people will just reject those from consideration so well in that case they'll limit the cohort with a search like best category i'm looking for near me and thus create a cohort that's only whatever 4.5 and higher for consideration so um, and the numbers we were we saw recently in medical was four eight was sort of the cutoff point for consideration it was very high yeah which is which is just insane but you know i mean it's a it's a it's a very sensitive category where people want better quality so it makes a certain amount of there's there's logic to it but the, the, the pressure. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Know, once... We're getting to a point, Greg, you've mentioned this in the past, though, where we're deciding between businesses that are four or five and businesses that are five. Oh, maybe uh, the rating skills should be on a logarithmic basis. So it spreads out a little bit more. Well, I, they'll have to do when, when things get to a point where the consideration set is, you know, four point seven to five. And you don't want to see, and five is disqualified in some cases because it's suspicious. So you're really looking at, you're really talking about like four, six, four, seven to 4.9. Then, you know, then the reviews become uh, problematic because they're undifferentiated. But that's a, that's a different discussion. Um, so anyway, I think we've come to the end of our time today. Is there anything, any final thoughts you'd like to add, Michael Lubenthal? No, I, uh, no finality from me. It's an open end. Life is an open ended question, and all these topics will remain. Well, the same. All, all these things are very, very interesting. I mean, the 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 sort of influence of AI, the impact of AI on on these products that we've lived with for twenty years and and more is is really fascinating. It'd be interesting to see where it goes. And of course, we'll be here every week to rant and rave about these things. And David Mimmel will be back next week. Thanks for joining us. Tell your friends. Uh, subscribe to Near Media, and we will see you next time for episode 125. Thanks for joining David, Mike, and Greg. To stay on top of the latest developments in local, subscribe to our newsletter at nearmedia.co. We'll see you next week.